Well, good morning. Great to see you. If you are new to LifePoint, my name is Ed Travers. I'm the teaching pastor here at this campus and uh, grateful to have you with us. I will ask you to do one favor. If you are new to LifePoint or newish to LifePoint, take a second, pull out your phone and turn on the camera and put on the QR code on a chair in front of you. That'll take you to a landing page called lpguest.com. That is our online connect card. So all the information you might wanna know about our church, you can find there at that site. Uh, There is a little sermon notes. If you click that button, you can follow along as I'm talking today and take notes. They're interactive and you can email those to yourself to have a record of what you feel like God's teaching you today. Uh, There's also upcoming events. There's a guest information button. If you'll click that button, fill out a little bit of information and let us know how you heard about LifePoint. That's of great interest to me. And then scroll down. There are five ministries we support from all of our campuses. If you look at one of those and, and you know one is of interest to you, just check that box and we'll do an extra $5 donation to that ministry in your honor just to say thanks for coming and, and uh, checking in with us today. So it's a great way to do something good today. Um, like I said, we're grateful to have you with us. Also, you know that it wasn't that long ago we, we shifted to three services, and since that time, our attendance has, has blossomed. We've been over 500 for the last three weeks, uh, so I'm grateful that God is, is opening up space for new people to come. Uh, what I will say is that for some of you, it would be really easy to shift to the noon service, and you're thinking to yourself, but why should I do that, Ed? Why should I do that? Because you can get brunch. Go to brunch early, go hang out, and then go to the noon service. And you would free up space at this service, and the noon service is way better. You're not going to believe the sermon is better, the music is better. We have full kids ministry, and it would help open space for other folks. So just want to let you guys know about that uh, great way to help serve our church. So I've had a couple of moments in my life where I've been on top of a mountain, uh, I'm not, I mean, obviously I grew up here, so there's not a lot of mountains in Columbus. Um, I, uh, have, I'm not a climber, uh, I'm not a skier, so it's not like I go to the mountains often, but twice in my life I actually went to the same mountain and I was terrified, just absolutely petrified. Let me explain. So I was 17 years old and I was doing a high school competition where I got to go to a nationwide tournament out in Utah. And my teacher advisor uh, took us out there and said, hey, I want you to see some of the sites while we're out here. So he took me up to Park City, Utah and took me to a mountain called Snowbird Mountain and ordered a tram ride so we could ride a tram. This is what the tram looks like. And honestly, it was fantastic. You're in a little glass box hanging on a wire, and if it breaks, you're, you're definitely gonna die. And I wasn't terrified at all. It was awesome. I, I really enjoyed that. But the second time I went to Park City, I was on a work trip, and all my coworkers wanted to go skiing. Like I said, I'm not a skier, so I just went and hung out for the day. And then when we were leaving the next day, a snowstorm had come in, and you know, so all the roads were covered with snow, and all of the team, everyone there, had all their gear. We got in this huge van, and someone volunteered to drive, like a girl who's like 22, 23 years old, probably has never driven a van like that. And we're going down the freeway, and it was such a steep incline that we're just, we're going down, and there's snow everywhere. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching her drive, and we're doing like 85, 90 miles an hour on the freeway. She's driving so close to the car in front of us. I'm thinking, I can touch that car. And nobody's saying anything. Like, I think no one wanted to be rude, but I'm like, hey, Sue, um, I don't know if you know this, but you don't have to ride the bumper of the car in front of you at 85 miles per hour down an icy freeway in the mountains. And she goes, oh, I don't want to hit my brakes. It's too slick out. I was terrified. I'm thinking, we're all going to die. This is it. Like, I always wonder, how's it going to happen? This is the moment. Well, I was wrong. I'm glad I'm here. But nevertheless, God be praised. 
Life can be like that, right? That there are times when same mountain, you have a great experience, same mountain, you have a bad experience. Life can be like that. We are in a new series we're calling The Ascent. We're looking at five different times in scripture where God called people to climb the mountain. And what we're saying, the big idea in this series is that God's purpose for our life is established in his provision for you. When he called them up the mountain, it wasn't like he was going to move the mountain. He was going there to move the people. And he does the same thing in our life. And we all experience mountaintop moments in our life. Uh, Think of the good and the bad. Like the good times are, you know, moments that change us forever. Moments that that are epic that we'll remember for our lifetimes. Uh, Maybe when you graduated high school, you remember that moment? and It just changed your, your course of your life after that moment. You maybe met the person you fell in love with. Uh, you, you got married or you had a child. You brought home that, that kid. You, you landed your first big deal. You financially became secure. Whatever, there are moments in our life that are really big moments that we'll remember for the rest of our life. There are also moments that are epic that are difficult that will also, uh, you know, were epic for us. And moments where maybe, you know, we had our first breakup. The person that we loved, it didn't work out. Or maybe we went through a divorce, a family divorce, a financial crisis, lost a job, or, and all of us have experienced loss. I think life can be like that. There are moments that are epic on the positive and the negative. And I think that's true spiritually. We're all on a spiritual journey, whether we understand that or not, that, that God has drawn us towards something. And in that journey, there are moments that are mountaintop moments where he's calling us to climb As if he's saying, come to me, come on up, come see who I am. And and that's those moments where we come to him. And usually we don't realize it at the time, but sometimes they're really big negative moments and sometimes they're really great moments. And they change us because God is trying to establish something in us about him. So I bring it up because it kind of begs the question then, all right, well, well, how does God use these on the journey? Like, how does God get us to where we're supposed to go? We all kind of feel like everything happens for a reason, but how does he get us there? How does he work it all together? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about in this series, and today we're gonna kind of open that up, and we're gonna look at one of the most famous passages of Scripture, the most famous story of Abraham and Isaac. And while we dig into that, I think it's gonna help answer some of those questions for us. So if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 22. I'm gonna say a quick prayer for all of us, and then let's dig in, okay? Uh, Father, We're on a spiritual journey, and today we're at a crossroads moment spiritually, whether we realize it or not, and I pray you would meet us in this crossroads. Speak to us. Provide in our souls. Establish the things that you want so we would know you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the story of Abraham and Isaac, uh, I'm, I'm gonna share three things. You can follow along in the sermon notes if you like. We'll put them on the screen. The first one is this, is that God uses mountains to test our faith. This test of faith, if you've been around church at all, you've heard of this. If you are completely new, and this is new to you, I'll explain it as best I can, but my guess is that most of you in the room know about Abraham and Isaac. Here's the gist of it. Way back, Adam and Eve, God had a great relationship with both of them. They sinned, it broke all of mankind. We all inherit the same curse that Adam and Eve had felt. So as a result of that, there's there's not a connection between God and us because he can't walk with us because we sin. So He establishes his character with them and they kind of live and multiply and eventually it all breaks again. He allows a flood to come in and Noah's Ark kind of reset things again. Well, the people of the world that are multiplying and growing and all these nations that are starting to be established, they really don't know God and there's many gods that they worship but they don't really know the God of the universe, the only true God. So God chooses a man, Abram, 
He calls him out of a land. In the land that he's in, and all of his forefathers, they believe in many gods. He calls him out like he's saying, look, no more of those gods. Come with me. And he leaves those people. He leaves his family and follows him because God is calling him. And in this, it's really epic because God is going to show the world who he is through this man, the patriarch. And all of the world will know who he is through this family line. It's a really epic moment. And what he does is very epic because of the importance of the man. His name is Abram, father, and he doesn't have any kids. And God makes him a promise. Oh, you're going to be a father of nations. Out of your family line are going to come kings. And he's like, uh, I don't have any kids. And my wife and I are well beyond years. Like, we can't have kids anymore. And God says, no, I'm making a covenant with you. I will establish your nation, you know. And he gives him a promise. And through a roundabout, lots of stuff that happens, he ends up with Isaac 25 years later. And Isaac is this little boy, and God has said, this is going to be the little boy who the family line is going to come through. I've chosen him. And then God says, Abraham now. He changed his name to Abraham, father of nations. I want you to sacrifice Isaac. And we know that story, right? And there's, he's there, and he's going to sacrifice his son. God stops him. And, and you need to understand, that's kind of offensive to us in this culture. But understand way back then, child sacrifice was actually a normal part of worship that people had in these pagan, pagan religions. In fact, you know, the, when you read about Molech in scripture, one of the things they did is they sacrificed children to Molech on the regular. So Abraham would have been aware of that. And we see this story and think, would God really have done this? God was actually changing the course of all of his people from this point forward. He was actually putting a stop to this practice through this activity. But Abraham didn't know. He didn't know the character of God. He was learning as God was introducing himself to Abraham. And this moment was part of the introduction of the character of God. And that comes in to this section. And this is what I want you to know, is that God uses mountains to test our faith. Here's what it says in chapter 22. After all these things that had happened with Abraham's life and getting Isaac, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. So imagine this moment after Abraham had spent all these years waiting for a son. He finally got the son and he's been living and it doesn't say how old his son is here, but most think he was a young man or a boy somewhere in, in between. He's, he's now got the son. He loves a son. And this is the first time love actually comes up in scripture in the language. Take your son whom you love. Sounds very familiar, right? God sent his son whom he loves. And then he says, go take him to Moriah. Moriah was a mountain area. And you and I know Moriah as Jerusalem. You see, it's up on a hill. And a lot of times, uh, a lot of the Psalms talk about Psalms of Ascent, that they would climb up the hill and, and come to God. This mountain area, he says, I want you to go there. And that's the place I've handpicked for you in this situation. And we read these things, and sometimes we forget the first line. After these things, God tested Abraham. This whole thing was a test. The whole situation was a test. This is why I know that God was never actually going to go through with it, because it was a test. He was trying to see. The question is why? The, I think, you know, we're called to live by faith. If you are a follower of Christ, he calls you to live by faith. And, and the apostle Paul wrote, we don't live by sight, we live by faith, right? But we don't even know when we're living by faith unless we're in a situation to live by faith. So there are situations in our lives right now that are happening in your life, good and bad, on purpose to make you activate your faith. And the truth is when, when we're having really good situations, we're not as likely to be desperate and reach out to God. 
And yet God is using those moments to say, are you gonna trust in these things or are you gonna trust in me? And oftentimes God will come to us and he'll say, you know all those great things in your life? I'm gonna ask you to sacrifice one of those. And then we start to freak out. Wait a second, you wanna take away this thing? You wanna take away that person? You wanna take away my thing, my money, my job, my, my, my house? Like we freak out, but God sometimes asks us to get rid of these things. Why? Because he wants to do something in our faith. Now, when it comes to the negative things, when we're out of control and life is hard, we get a diagnosis, we lose something. Like when we're in those situations, we're way more likely to reach out to God because we feel so out of control. But in either case, God is trying to use them as a test. You cannot not consider that God might have you in the middle of a test right now in your situation. Why? People I know, when they think about their relationship with God, they think, okay, I need to do this thing. I need to start coming to church more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to stop doing these behaviors. I need to start doing these behaviors. And we think this is what's gonna make us right with God. But you know what God really wants? He wants faith. You know how Peter wrote about it? I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this to you. You don't have to go there. Just first Peter. And Peter understood something about faith. This is a guy who understood you know, problems. He understood tests. Uh, he's writing about faith in 1 Peter when he's writing to this church. And he says this, in this you rejoice, talking about faith, that if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So you're going through tests, these trials in your life, so that, why do you get a test? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's saying Peter's saying that your faith is more valuable than fire-tried gold. That's how important your faith is to God. Like we think, well, if I stop doing this and I start doing this, if I write some checks, like this is what's valuable to God. And God's like, no, actually your faith is what's valuable. That's what he wants from us. And when he uses that whole idea of fire-tried gold, think about that. Like when we think of gold, it's the most valuable commodity that we can find, right? You know, one of those things. And he, you know, when it's purified, it's boiled and heated and whatnot, and they, they get out all the impurities of the gold. Why? Because they want it to be beautiful. When it's, when it's finished up, it's so beautiful that you can see, you know, the reflection of the person who's fixing the gold. That's what he's saying about our faith. He puts us in situations that test our faith. It has to activate it. We have to live by it. And he's using that to purify our faith. That's what he's doing. All right, so God uses mountains to test our faith. God uses mountains to teach us about trust. God uses mountains to teach us about trust. Here's what happens next. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his, his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, the fire and the knife. And so they, they went up both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, well, God will provide himself for himself the lamb for burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. You know, it's real easy to read scripture, and when you know a story, it's real easy to kind of move right past it and not really think about it. Think of it as like, you know, that picture that hangs in your kitchen. You know is there, uh, but you don't really pay attention to it because it's been there for years, and you know what it looks like, but you don't really, you don't really dwell on it. It's just there, right? 
This story can be like that to a lot of us when we forget. But I want you to imagine there's Abraham who doesn't really know God. He doesn't have a church that he goes to. He doesn't have a Bible that he sits down and reads. He doesn't have a community of people he goes to life group with. And he's just a guy trying to follow God. And God is introducing his character to him. And this moment, God says, you know that son whom you love? I want you to sacrifice him. And I mean, it's just crazy to think that this is even gonna happen. He's, he's like, he's, you know, he's got the boys like, hey, hey, we're gonna come back. We're gonna go worship. We're gonna come back. And, and the father's like, well, or the son is like, well, where, where's the lamb? He's like, look, the Lord will provide. It must've been terrifying for Abraham. But there's something about it that I really think is interesting. And it's the first line there. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. He went immediately. This is the part, I think, where you see that Abraham trusts God. God told him he got up the very next morning to do it. The distance between hearing what God wanted him to do and actually doing it was very short. And if you wanna know if you trust God, the distance between God laying something on your heart and you doing it is the amount of trust that you have for God. In Abraham's case, like he had already seen that God provided a child. And if, if you read some scripture in, in Hebrews 11, it's called the Faith Hall of Fame chapter. It's this chapter dedicated to all these people of faith. And there's a whole section dedicated to Abraham. And in that section of, in, with Abraham, it says this, that Abraham believed that God could raise his son from the dead. He trusted God. God obviously promised me that this son would come. And he came 25 years ago. I have this kid. God promised. It was a miracle. And they knew it. And if God has promised that this son is the one who the the family line is going to be coming through and the promises are coming through, then he believed, all right, well, God will just raise him from the dead. So he's willing to trust God. So in your case, in the mountains in your life where God is calling you to come closer to him, God is calling you to know him, to worship him, to honor him with your life. Do you find time that he's asking you to do something and it, it's something that you put off? It's something that you're like, you know, you, you rationalize it. Well, I don't need to forgive that person. They probably have forgotten all about that. I don't need to, I don't need to sacrifice. I don't need to serve like that. I don't, need to, I don't need to set aside time to do that. Like, do you ever have moments like that where you start to rationalize in your head? You think God's telling you to do something. And you're just, let, me, let me tell you about something in my life. And I've shared this story before. I don't share it very often, but I want to share it with you. I have, in my faith journey, I have one of those moments that God has made, made very clear to me. Hey, I want you to trust me. And I'm like, I do trust you, kind of, like one of those moments, right? So I was raised in a family that, that believed in God. We, we were in a church that was very religious, and, and we did a lot of different rituals. And one of those rituals that we did was uh, we, we baptized infants in that church. And so I was baptized as an infant. Now, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't even, no one even asked me about it, I don't think. So, you know, I was just there, right? Um, but, you know, I was raised like that. And later on, I heard about the gospel. I heard about the good news of the Savior, Jesus Christ. And I remember I raised my hand one day. I'm like, today is my day. I want Jesus. I remember that day. And I'll never forget it. And as I got into my teen years, I started to hear about God because I was involved in a Bible study where my grandpa taught the word of God. And I started to discover the character of God. I was able to ask questions. What about this verse? What does this mean? Well, why did he do that? Like I was learning and discovering the character of God. 
But the truth is, if you looked at my life in my teen years into to 20 years old, I really had kind of one foot in the world and one foot in with God. Like I believed, and I, I believed that he was the savior, but I also wanted to experience the world and experience everything my friends were experiencing. I, I wanted that too. I had two feet out in two different directions, and that led me to a place where I tasted some of the world and went, this tastes bad. It left a sour taste in my mouth and in my heart and left me a little bit broken. And in that brokenness, I'm like, you know what? I know God, I should turn to him. And I realized that God was worthy of my life. So I took all the chips I had and I put them all over and I said, I'm all in. And let me tell you something, it did something in my soul that I can't explain. A love, a peace, a joy, a patience, a kindness. And, and I had sin issues and God was slowly ripping some of those out on the regular. And I would read scripture and I would be like, oh my gosh, I think he's talking to me. But there was one moment, like I'm in that moment in my life, I fell in love with Jesus. I started teaching a Bible study for my lost friends. I started going to groups. I was getting mentored by people. I was praying, reading my Bible. I'm doing all these things. And I was kind of like pretty well known in my little circles as the Jesus friend that they had. Like, I don't know if you, you know what I'm talking about, but I was like their token Christian friend. And some of my friends gave their life to Jesus and got baptized. And they said, what about you, Ed? I'm like, well, I kind of, I mean, I was baptized as a baby, but I knew what scripture said. Scripture said everyone who becomes a believer gets baptized. You always get baptized after the fact because it's a picture, it's a symbol of what's already happened in your life. And I knew my parents, I love them for you know, wanting me to know God, but I knew in my soul and God was hammering me, hey, are you gonna get baptized? But here's what I thought. Everyone already knows I'm a Christian. I'm the most Christian guy in your circle. I'm reading my Bible like crazy, talking about Jesus. Like, why would I get baptized now? And so I kind of like, I don't think I want to do that. And and honestly, I think it was embarrassing because everyone knew I was a Christian. Why would I get like, go backward in time somehow and get baptized? That's how I felt. I rationalized it all. But I knew I waited six years. Six years. Here's what happened. My brother, who wasn't a Christian, I kept praying for. And like he was like, he was in way off in this lane. Like this was his life lane, like way away from God. And God got him. He became a believer. And I was so shocked that God was answering my prayers. And that like, you could get anyone, God, but not him. But he got him. I'm like, this is crazy. I remember praying, just praising God and thanking God. I'm like, God, you are so amazing. I can't believe you answered my prayer. I can't believe you got my brother. I'll do anything. I'll do anything you say. If you want me to be a janitor, I'll be a janitor for you. I said, whatever you say. And in the back of my head, I wasn't even thinking about it. I heard this, this little voice in my head. Hey, I need you to get baptized. I went, what? <laughs> okay, all right. I called my pastor. I said, hey, I need to get baptized. He's like, you do? I'm like, yes, I do. The distance, the distance, God had to work through some things in my life so that I would trust him. And you know what? I hope I'm not a six-year truster. I think I'm getting better. I think I'm learning to trust God. I want to trust him immediately because I think that is what faith is all about, is trusting God. And there are times in our lives when he's trying to say, look, do you trust me? And if you're a dad, you know what I'm talking about. You've had moments where you want your kids to trust you. I, I've told the story about when my girls were little. I'd put them on the steps and like jump to me. And my girls had two totally different personalities. One would go up three steps and jump to me. The other one would be on the first step and go, daddy, hold me. Okay, I'll jump to you. <laughs> like, hold my hand though. I'm like, just trust me. I don't drop you. You see, God is a God who wants us to trust him. It's a big deal to him. And it impacts our life when we trust him. He gives us mountaintop moments. He calls us to ascend to him, to teach us, through testing of our faith and through teaching us about trust. And last thing, and I think most importantly, is that God uses mountains to reveal himself to us. Here's what happens in verse nine. 
Now, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order to bound Isaac, his son, and, and laid him on the altar on the top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy and do not do anything to him. For now I see that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. It's an interesting part of the story. But I, I, want, you to, I want you to imagine, you know, Abraham believes that God can raise a son from the dead. But trying to go through with it must have been agonizing in his soul. But to hear the voice of God say, stop. This is a one-time event. God put an end to all of this. Only one time from this point forward where God ever sacrificed a son. He's telling all of us, look, this was a one-time event, but I wanted you to see the faith of Abraham, the patriarch of faith. He was willing to trust God. He was willing to do what, what he was called to do. But how did God reveal himself to Abraham? You know, interestingly enough, when he said to, to his son Isaac, Isaac said, well, where's, where's the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb. But in that moment when he stopped, he turned around and there's a, there's a ram caught in the thicket. Like you would think you'd probably notice that. I'm guessing. I'm not a mountainous guy. But I'm just trying to imagine you don't see him there in the thicket. But, and Abraham just happened to notice him. So, so was he not there before? And then God placed the ram like he just come in there and got caught. I have no idea. But it just so happened at the right moment God provided. And isn't it like that in our faith? It's almost like he waits till the last moment to provide. You have a moment where you're trying to ascend and you're, you're called to trust and we don't know the future, which is why we have to trust, why we have to have faith. And yet God always provides. Like Caleb said earlier, it may not look the way that we expect it to look, but he does provide. And then he says, on this land, the Lord will provide. That's Jehovah Jireh, the name of God. He, did, he knew that God would provide because he had, a, he had a child that he was not expecting. It was a miracle baby. But now he watched, he believed, and now he watched God actually come through. He provided, and God revealed that nature of who he is to Abraham. Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. He said, this land, this area will be known as the Lord shall provide. This mountain area, which later was purchased by King David from the very line of Abraham, from the very line of Isaac came King David. He purchased that land in Jerusalem, and his son built a temple right on that very spot because this is the known as the land where God shall provide, Jehovah Jireh. I bring it up because here's the thing. We sometimes think that we're gonna negotiate with God with our behaviors or change behaviors, and we think if I can just get God to answer and God to fix my situation or God to bless my situation, that's what we think and oftentimes how we act. This is why when, when we don't do something right, we think, oh, I better not pray because God must be mad at me. Like, we think we're negotiating, but the truth is, God wants to reveal himself to us. He wants us to know him, and when we know him, our life will look different. Our life will be lived out of what we know of God, not just have heard of. I mean, you could become an expert in the Bible without actually paying attention to God. You can just become an expert in the, the grammar of it all. 
And yet God wants us to know him personally. And he calls us to moments that are difficult that we can't handle. We can't, we're not in control of these moments because God is trying to do something in us so that we will know him. That's what happened. That's what happened with Abraham. And that's what he tries to do in all of us. I, about 10 years ago, this month, I had a situation that I was reminded of recently. Uh, a friend of mine named Andy, who I was, I was pouring my life into Andy. He was a young man. I knew God had his hand on Andy and was trying to do something through his life. Uh, and uh, I was mentoring him and Andy came to me and his wife and two of her friends went to a conference. Uh, and at the conference, it talked a lot about human trafficking. And they were so moved by that. They came back and they had an idea of something they wanted to do. Uh, and so they sat me down and said, we want to create a fashion show on the campus at Ohio State University. I said, a fashion show, is that right? And I'm thinking, I don't know anything about fashion. Some of you guys know that. Um, I have no idea what a fashion show is. I know they bring out the you know, women in their dresses. I'm like, I, I mean, that's all I know. That's as far as I know about fashion shows. They said, but one of the girls actually went on a mission trip to Liberia and saw a fashion show in a very similar fashion and wanted to do that at Ohio State. I said, what is it? It's a different type of show where the dresses are different and the whole idea is to bring light to human trafficking and we're gonna do this and sell tickets and all the money is gonna be raised and given to organizations that work against human trafficking. And I said, this is a great idea. I said, what's it have to do with me? They said, well, we want the church to help us in making this happen and we've gotta get the money together and all that. So like the church has to work together in this. And I thought, okay. And I looked at Andy, I said, Andy, you have to head this up. I'm not, I'm not taking this on, you're taking this on. He's like, all right. So he became the liaison between the church and what became the future organization of this event called Unchained. And this event, what it basically did is this, these the girls would come out in their dresses and it would tell the story of human trafficking, but they decided they're not gonna get church girls to be the models. They wanted the sorority girls from around campus to be the models so they could have chances to share the gospel with them. I'm like, that's a great idea. Our job as the church was simply to sell tickets and become ushers and help the event run smoothly because they were renting a really huge hall down at Ohio State. I mean, it was a big event. The Everything was happening great. Everything was working. God provided the dresses for free from that lady in Liberia. It was amazing. And everything that happened, like it was, it was wonderful to watch. The problem was right up to the point where the show was getting ready, we were gonna sell tickets for the last two weeks and the, a record cold front came through in March. It was like zero degrees in March. And we were all supposed to be out there on the Oval and all the places around campus selling tickets. And there was nobody out. I mean, we'd get an occasional person walk by, but there was nobody out. Our pre-sales were so bad. I mean, we were all a little bit terrified. Now, the night of the event, I mean, we've got it all looking great. All the people are dressed up to be ushers from the church. The ladies are ready for the show. I mean, and we had gotten eight different groups to come in from the International Justice Mission had a booth there. Uh, Rahab's Closet was there. I mean, there's all these groups working on the front line and the backside of human trafficking. I mean, and we're gonna donate all the money. All the ticket sales are going to these groups. And I'm like, what if no one shows up? We got no money. But, you know, I didn't say any of that. Andy comes to me an hour before the show and we had a moment together. And in that moment, he looks at me and goes, Ed, what if nobody comes? In that moment, I'm thinking, I know what God can do. I've been around. I've watched him provide. I know Jehovah Jireh personally, but Andy doesn't. Andy's heard of Jehovah Jireh, but he needs to know Jehovah Jireh. I didn't say all that to him because I thought it would freak him out. So I talked to God and I said, God, you gotta show him. If whatever you're trying to call Andy to do with his life, he needs to know you. You need to do something. You need to show him who you are. 
And I, if it's failure or complete success in ever, whatever you're planning, he needs to know you do something, God, that he would know you tonight. And let me tell you something. That place was standing room only. I couldn't believe it. I mean, there were people from, I mean, the place, and I don't even know where they came from. People from all over the city came to the event. It was crazy. And let me tell you about the show, because I've never been to a fashion show. I didn't know what it was going to be like. But there's a narrator. Andy had to write the entire script. And in the narration, what would happen is these girls came out at first, and you know, he would tell a story. Here's a young girl from a place and, and talks about her life and how awesome it is. And she's got this vibrant, beautiful dress on. The next girl comes out, and she's getting older now, and the dress becomes a little bit more mature. And the next dress comes out, and here's where the enemy got a hold of her and took her into trafficking. And the dresses start to get really weird and the, the things with their faces. Here's one of the models. Look like this, covering the face, hands sewed together because now they're enslaved to this trafficking that happens. And he starts telling the story of human trafficking in the world. And he's just going on about this, what happens. And then a rescuer arrives. A rescuer comes to save the girl and bring her back. And the dresses start to change. And eventually this girl receives the freedom and the, the breaking of the chains and the dresses become vibrant again. And this whole, this whole thing that takes like an hour for all these dresses to come out, and the whole story really is a story of girls becoming freed from this, this incredible evil. It's incredible. And at the end of the whole show, I mean, we raised like over $8,000 for all these groups. A bunch of college kids. It was crazy. One of the coolest moments for me though was one of the few times I was able to sell tickets out on the Oval. This girl came by, I'd never met her before, and she goes, oh, I've heard of your church. And uh, you know, I said to her, I said, well, hey, do you know how large human trafficking is? She goes, no, I, said, I just gave her a few stats about the millions of people involved in it uh, all around the world. And I said, can I ask you something? If you could end human trafficking, what would you do? She goes, I have no idea. I said, we don't either. I said, but we decided to do something. So we're doing this. So I explained the show and I explained we're trying to raise money and all that. And I said, we'd really love for you to come and buy a ticket. She goes, you know what? I have a friend I'm trying to share Jesus with who won't go to church with me, but I know she'll come to this. I said, would you want to buy her a ticket? She goes, yes. So she bought a ticket for a friend, hoping that her friend would come. Well, that night after the show, we're all milling around. There's like hundreds of people in this event. And I run into that girl. I'm like, you came. She's like, I did. She goes, this is my friend. Introduce me to her friend. So we just start making small talk and we're just talking and chit-chatting about life. And, and she looked at me and she goes, can I ask you something? I said, yeah. She goes, why are you doing this? I said, well, you heard, you heard that narrative, right? She goes, yeah. I said, that narrative is a narrative of all of us, spiritually speaking. She goes, what do you mean? I said, we're all living life and we get trapped by sin. And it becomes the very thing that enslaves our souls. And our lives are broken and we become addicted to this sin and it literally breaks us. It breaks our relationship with God. And we needed a rescuer, not just anyone. We needed God himself to send his son down to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to break the chains of sin over our life, to break the chains of death over our life. Then we come to him in faith. We can walk with him in victory. He gives us freedom over all these things in our life. And we had a great conversation there that night. I have no idea what happened with her life. I've never met her since. I know the other girl actually started coming to our church and married one of our guys and now they're becoming missionaries in Africa. But I think about that faith moment in that part of our lives. Andy needed to know Jehovah Jireh, but that young girl needed to know that God would provide a way for her friend to hear the gospel. For me, I just wanted God to show himself to Andy, but God is working all these things all the time and he wants to reveal himself to us. 
wherever you're at in your life, whatever your struggle is, whatever your mountain moment is in your life, and maybe you're kind of coasting along in a valley right now, and maybe that feels like a struggle to you because you don't feel like you're hearing from God, or maybe you have a circumstance that is overwhelming, it could very well be that God is trying to show you who he is. Wherever you're at, I'm gonna ask you to lean into God. Maybe there's something specific that he's asking you to do and you just haven't trusted him. You haven't said yes and you've allowed, you've allowed six years to pass before you say yes to him. Well, maybe it's time. And if you're on the start of your journey, your step of faith on this mountain moment is to say yes to Jesus and let him come into your life and free you of sin. But for Moses in this room, he's trying to reveal himself to us in a new way. So let's stand together and let's pray. And we're gonna sing a last song. And as we get ready to sing, there are just two things. One is that if you, you feel like you're in a, a moment that you, you wanna take a next, a next step, but you're just not sure what to do, I'm gonna ask you, when we start singing, go to the next steps area. They'll meet you there. They might have a resource for you. They would be willing to pray for you. Um, whatever it is, maybe it's a great step for you is just to hear someone else's voice, tell them what's going on, and maybe you don't have to tell every detail, but maybe you just need someone to pray for you. I want to ask you, just slip out of your seat while we sing and just go over there to next steps and talk with someone, pray with them if you need. But for everyone else, I want you to remember, Isaac asked a question. He said, he said Father, where's, where's the lamb? And Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. And he did. Not, not far from that very place, up on another ridge, just over the line of where that Mount Moriah is, is Mount Calvary. And that, that is where he provided a lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he did that as a statement to reveal his nature, God, our savior. And for us in the room, for, for us who are believers, we need to remember that when we're going through the tough moments. And if you're in this room and you've never received Jesus, you need to receive the Lamb of God and let his sacrifice pay for your sin. Let's pray. Talk to God wherever you're at. Maybe there's something very specific. Tell God, I hear you. If it's something very specific, say, God, let me repeat this back to you. This is what I think you're saying to me. Just tell him. Say, God, I hear you. Let my heart catch up. If there's something that you know there's a step you need to take, say, God, I, I need the courage to take that step this week. Help me to trust you. For some of you, you're in situations you can't control and you say, God, I need you to be the provider. It might be just as easy to say, God, will you please cling to me until you provide? Whatever your step is, talk to God. And I just say that if you're in this room and you've never taken that first step where you've raised your hand to God, here's what you do. You say to God right now in prayer, just talk to him and say, God, I believe in you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose from the grave. I believe he is the lamb of God. Maybe you've always believed that, but tell God right now in your heart, tell him. And the Bible says, anyone who calls in the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Here's how you do that. You simply say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life. Please forgive me of my sin. I am sorry. I'm sorry for having two you know, feet going the wrong direction in this world. I want to walk towards you. Please forgive me. You need to know that he wants to forgive you. You just need to ask. Just tell him, God, please forgive me. Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. Help me to follow you. Just tell him that. You need to know that step of faith is the very thing that's required. That's what he wants from you, your faith. 
that little step of faith, that step of trust, jumping to him with your life. He wants you to follow him. And when you start to hear his voice, you follow. I'm gonna give you one step today. Jesus said, if you acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If that's you today and you just prayed that prayer, I want you to acknowledge Jesus between you and me and God. I ask you just, if you prayed that prayer, just to raise your hand up and say, today was my day. Hold it up high enough I can see. Anywhere in this room? Yes, I see you in the back. Anyone else? High enough I can see you. You may put your hand down. Anyone else? God, I, I pray for those who are taking first steps with you that you would meet them right where they're at. Lord, I pray that you put your spirit in them and help them to sense you. I pray you put people in their life to help them walk in you. God, show them how much you love them. God, I pray that they would sense your forgiveness over their life. God, I pray they would be able to get connected and grow in their faith. God, for most of us in this room though, we have mountains and we look at you and say, God, please provide. <laughs> provide healing, provide help, provide the finances, provide the situation, the, the, the job, the, the connection. We want things for our kids, God. I pray that you provide. Help us to know you in that and cling to you. And we ask all this in your son's precious and holy name.